Hello and welcome to The Fast Podcast, a place where we aim to break down stigmas around mental health one conversation at a time. I'm G Atkinson and each episode I'll be joined by a special guest. We'll tell stories, ask questions and speak openly about the experiences we've had. We're The Fast Movement and together we're fighting against suicidal thoughts. Hello and welcome to the Fast Podcast. Today I am joined by Tim Roberts. I met Tim a couple of months ago because he was the host at our coaching culture conference. Uh, Tim's one of them people where he just brings loads of good energy to the room. So I'm very looking forward to having our conversation today. So Tim, if you'd like to introduce yourself and just let everybody know what you do. Yeah, hello G. Uh, it's always that bit weird thing at a podcast now, do we pretend that we've just started talking and that we've not said hello, so I'll go, hello G, yeah. how are you? <laughs> we've just walked into the room yeah, and we're in the podcast studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, yeah, so what do I do? So yeah, Tim Roberts, I uh, run my own business, Enthuse Coaching and Training. So I guess there's a clue in the title really that I spend most of my time either coaching or facilitating learning. Coaching, it mainly focuses working with individuals and then I also would coach teams uh, through kind of leadership development or team development and also do quite a lot of work in the consultancy capacity where I'm kind of coaching the organisation that might be working with their kind of head of people or HR director, that kind of role. Uh, and then do a lot of facilitated learning, so I'll get my training pants on uh, a few times a week if I'm lucky or at least a few times a month. What colour are they? Oh, different what I've got. <laughs> is this classed as khaki? Yeah. You know, is, is this... Yeah. Is this well, Beige khaki. Is this like for the listeners? Like, if you watch it in black and white, the yellow ball's the one that's <laughs> grey. <laughs> uh, so yeah, do do quite a lot of facilitation, and then uh, would class myself as an inspirational speaker, um, which is something I've done a lot more of this year since uh, going freelance and, and running my own business, uh, which I absolutely love. So, do talks either at conferences like you referred to before, or with company conferences so I've done quite a few company conferences this year where it might be management conferences or their own company conference so that my talks around that tend to focus around emotional intelligence and linking it to my enthused brand a big kind of point that I base my talks around is that the challenge is the opportunity and helping people to understand that they always have a choice in terms of how we respond to what goes on around us we always have a choice and I guess like you said in the intro, one of the things I like to do in my talks is try and bring a lot of energy into it and a bit of humour because I think anyone can stand behind a lectern and point at a screen. So try and make it a bit different, try and make it a bit funny, why not? Uh, And then I also, as part of my talks, I also do part of that around mental health. So I do some talks around, I wouldn't class myself as a campaigner. I like to take the opportunity where I can to just raise awareness really, I guess, of mental health and maybe help people see the reality of it um, and then help people to kind of understand that more over how they can act should they experience mental health or how they can support others so yeah amazing so when you say you do talks about mental health is that often in businesses or at events or does a business approach you and ask you to do that talk or is that just something that you do at certain events a bit of a mixture really G so started off probably at events and then mental health awareness week in May this year I worked with a digital company in Manchester. So as part of their activities and campaigns for that whole week, they asked me to go in and and do my talk. Um, So yeah, different opportunities really. Um, I'm one of these people that 
those mental health awareness talks are not something that's part of my business as such. I don't make money from it. So if somebody offers to pay me, I want it to go to charity. That's not be me being all evangelical and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I don't have a desire to make that part of my fee-earning business. Um, and I also think there's some great people out there who do that full-time, shall we say. Um, so for me, it's more if I get the chance to raise awareness, maybe my own story and just kind of how that has helped me to see mental health in a different light and, and then helping other people, really. So, yeah, it just kind of depends what people need from me, really. Again, with the mental health talks that I do, there's such a huge focus for me, again, around emotional intelligence. So it does link to where I spend most of my time, kind of from an enthused point of view my story in that is that emotional intelligence saved my life so there's a, a very close link to what I do with Enthuse and then when the opportunity arises or somebody invites me to do that then I'll jump at the chance because the more like this podcast the more people can talk about that well that's the thing and that's what like you just <coughs> said then that you you know you do it because you want to raise awareness of it and I think just hearing different people's stories massively breaks down the stigmas because everybody is beginning to realise the more people that talk about it that a lot of people do suffer with mental health whether that's like very severely or like mildly a lot like I think majority of people do suffer with it so I think more the more we can raise awareness and the more for example mental health awareness week that's gone massive in the past couple of years yeah. and the things that have happened for it is just amazing and hopefully that has affected a lot of people in a positive way yeah because it I, I was hesitating before, almost going to say it could make it easier for people. I don't think that's fair for me to say, actually, because obviously every individual will decide what makes it easy for them. But you're right, it's just about what awareness can we raise of it? How can we make people maybe stand up and take notice? Because, to be honest, I think mental health, and I see this, I think there's two things really. One, I, th I think people don't really realise that they might have a mental illness because we just put it down to I'm not feeling great or I'm in a bad mood so it can take years and years and years for somebody to go actually I might need to have a different conversation or might need to go and get some kind of treatment um, and I think then the other point is just getting people to talk about it and not be afraid of it and you know accept it for what it is so that people can then just start to have that that conversation really because I think sometimes people are afraid to actually just put their hand up and go I'm struggling a bit here definitely I think that's really interesting about the fact that some people might not necessarily know they have a mental health illness and I think hopefully with these kind of conversations that do take place or the more people become aware of you know the the symptoms or things that can be affecting your mental health the more that it I suppose when you feel if you, if you're somebody that's suffering a mental pro health problem and you're oblivious to like what's going on and you don't know that that's what's going on, you can feel so lonely and so on your own in the world. And as soon as yeah. you kind of hear, actually, somebody else, oh gosh, that's how I feel, or oh that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Sometimes it just massively connects people to the world a bit more, and they don't feel as alone. Yeah, and I think it. You know, I can only speak for myself. So last year. Uh, oh my god actually it's probably nearly exactly 12 months ago that's weird that we've just by purely coincidence timed it that way so around June well it was in June last year I don't remember the date was when I was diagnosed with severe depression however I can look back and go I 
was probably suffering from depression for a number of years but didn't accept it and, and I think I had things that took me away from it like having kids and uh, progressing in my role and finding a job that I absolutely love so things kind of take you away from it but I know with me what caused my severe depression was anxiety plus stress so that's what I talk about in my talks is for me it's quite a simple occasion uh, equation rather you can tell I'm not a mathematician can't you I can't even say the word equation <laughs> and it is that simple equation for me of anxiety plus stress equals depression so I was suffering with a lot of anxiety a lot of it for me was categorically linked to where I was working at that time and not the job I was doing but the culture of the organisation and, and I guess some circumstances leading up to me joining that organisation in terms of if I'm honest what was promised was categorically not the reality I can also look back now and go well I was choosing how to respond to that so when I was then diagnosed so that came about from I guess months of me going the worst I've ever been so my wife will tell you that I've always been a bit of a moody bastard uh, so would our kid my sister actually as well as she obviously lived with me when I was younger however for me the build up to going to see a GP was I, I didn't want to get out of bed uh, the slightest thing would just send me into really dark mood so I remember I do a lot of swimming and I swim at a particular swimming pool regularly in the morning and one morning when I was getting out of the swimming pool I slipped and it, I mean typical of me because I can chip over the pattern in a carpet but I went flying in the air and clattered my shin on the side of the pool oh now physically how I did it is beyond me but I did and it's really, pretty skilled to be able to do it was that. yeah I was quite proud of myself actually but it didn't have frigging hurt I mean like horrendous pain and it swelled up and you know, typical man didn't go to the doctors and out of the hospital for three weeks later and all that sort of stuff and found out I really badly bruised it and I still got a scar. But stuff like that, I, 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 it just sent me into a really bad mood and really bad place and it wasn't the first time I'd fell over and hurt myself, do you know what I mean? And I could still walk and I could still go to work. It wasn't like I'd broke my leg. But just stuff like that sent me quite deep down Then my wife's birthday. That happened in January last year, which was my wife's fourth for the same month and I just didn't enjoy it. And we booked for us to go to Disneyland and stuff. I remember giving her the presents and was just a bit like, yeah, it's good, isn't it? So I knew inside almost like something had snapped or something had changed. Um, and then I, I had quite a few months about that. Um, and then my wife started to notice and started to say certain things to me. And of course, I was just like, no, I'm just, I'm not very well or... I'm just pissed off about work or whatever. You're kind of making an excuse, don't you? Because did you think that that would almost pass and that it was you were just having an, a, a bit of like a stage where you were feeling like that? You thought, no, yeah. I'll feel fine soon. Kind yeah. Of and and, and I'd, I'd actually behave in that way. So I remember at least a couple of Sundays, I'd kind of, I would have spent all Saturday in bed and again, just been a moody bastard, ignoring my kids, ignoring my wife, but just kind of pretending I wasn't very well. And then I get up Sunday and be like, right, let's go for breakfast. I'm all right. Sorry, I was just having a bad day because of work. I'm all right now. I won't let it happen again. You know, two weeks later, it had happened again. So it started to kind of go like that. And then things happened to me that had never happened before, where I'd like wake up in the middle of the night. It just like this, not a panic attack, I don't think, but just kind of this impending sense of doom. Um, and it's hard to explain, really. Almost like an out-of-body experience, because it's that bit of like, you know, you, you I, I've never really slept, I've never been a fantastic sleeper, so it wasn't unusual that I'd wake up in the middle of the night and have things on my mind, but this was like, I need to get out of bed, go downstairs and cry, 
you know, and that that's weird because as a man, I guess we don't cry kind of thing. So it's very almost often. like this overwhelming feeling of, of yeah. That. And that was like I don't know why I don't know what was happening to me, and there was a bit like I, I don't I didn't know who I was anymore. I don't know what I'm doing, and that for me was hard because I have quite a strong sense of what I stand for. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm aware of what my values are, and I, and I have this purpose in terms of like my roles in in learning development and stuff like that. And that just then kind of would happen. My wife didn't know, nobody knew about that at the time. And then there was stuff like driving home from work and I'd not play any music, which is weird for me because I'm obsessed with music. And and would just kind of like pull over in a bus stop and just sit there for 20 minutes. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Just, just having no idea what the fuck I was doing, basically. Gosh, I bet that was quite scary. And uh, well, and I bet it was a mixture of emotions. I bet it was a bit fr- of a frustration as well. But I can imagine that was quite scary. Or was it? Is it something that you look back on now, and you know you weren't completely aware of how you were feeling, what you were doing at the time? Is it something that you can now look back on in a very different light? Is it? You know, like for, I'm trying to think for a an example of when you look back at a time that you you're in a, a shit mood or something and and then you're like gosh I can't believe I was feeling like that but I bet that was you know times a million if you look back now and like you said you didn't recognize yourself is that a weird kind of time yeah yeah really weird um and I think for me there was no reason because I was you know I I never even thought that I might have depression or that anxiety and stress might be causing these things I knew I was stressed but I just put that down to work and all that, and life, basically. But it was weird as well because there's a bit of a spiral for me when I got into that because a really good friend of mine lost his mum around the time when I, when I was suffering this. So then I started to think, why am I feeling like this? And my mate's just lost his mum. There's nothing wrong with me. I've not lost any family. You know, they, I've not been through any trauma. So then you start to... You're almost beating yourself up, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and and that I don't know whether there's a bit of like in that sense are you searching for a reason because as a human being that's what your logical thinking says, isn't it? There must be a reason for this. So kind of carried on like that. That then was the first time that I uh, really kind of experienced suicidal thoughts, like overwhelming, like horrible, just like day after day. It, that really kind of that was just the overriding thoughts and then you get that sense you know that uh worthlessness um quite a big word to say and and carried on like that and i didn't talk to anybody about that it was only i'm very very lucky that my wife prod prompted me and, and kind of wouldn't give up kind of thing you know she she's not someone who'll just go oh, just forget it he's miserable so and, and certainly wouldn't wouldn't fall out with me for it. So when she spoke to me about it or would text me, she was just kind of, look, you know, I'm here for you. We need to talk. I'm worried, but I'm worried for you and I'm worried that if this carries on, the kids are starting to ask me questions. So she wasn't putting me under pressure. She was just doing it in a way of, look, you know, maybe this is more than work being a bit shit and you having to work with a lot of people that you don't have the same values <laughs> as you, he says, putting it very politely. <laughs> Um, it's nice that you had somebody around you that recognised you weren't being yourself and recognised, you know, this isn't just him being a moody bastard, like you put it, but yeah. that she was realised this is something more. 
So was yeah. she the one that prompted you to go and see somebody about it? Yeah, um, which at first I kind of stuck two fingers up and was like, no, I don't, I don't need to talk to a doctor and all that kind of stuff. And then I don't know what triggered it really. Um, I, I, perhaps I got to the point where I was just sick of feeling that way or, you, you know, perhaps I read an awful lot. So whether uh, I read a book or something that prompted me, so I then started to look into this a bit more and that horrible Google search of I'm having suicidal thoughts and every every search you do, Samaritans appears, then you think, you know, yes, something might not quite be right here. Um, so then in that research, I found that writing down how you feel can help. And I like to write, like I say, I read a lot. So I thought, well, that that's maybe a good thing to do. So I sat and I wrote a letter to myself. It's the weirdest letter I've ever done. Um, and then the idea is that you write that letter and it's literally how you feel. And that's exactly what I did. I even addressed it to myself and the other subjects, uh, how I feel and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously you read that back kind of thing. Um, and it's weird because I actually sat and wrote that in work because that was kind of like, right, and you know, it, it was in the moment, I need to go and do something. So I made me excuses, go away from my desk and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, that helped me. Because reading that was like, that's not Tim Roberts, that's not me, that's not what I portray to other people, and, and obviously that's not how I want to feel kind of thing. Um, so I then emailed that to my wife, and then from there, you know, we were able to kind of move forward with it really. And I think that's the bit, I always, I always, whilst it's not easy, I always like to share that bit of, I guess, my experience, because... I know I'm lucky because I had my wife, Lynn, um, Joyno, as she gets affectionately called. <laughs> Whereas not everybody has that, either because they're single, alone, whatever, you know, however you want to describe it, or they might be in a relationship where somebody doesn't react the same way as my wife did and then it can put them into more pressure. So I would be an advocate if anybody listens to this and starts to feel like that, have a go at writing that letter to yourself and seeing it. They describe it almost, is, is it in the second person, the third person, I don't know. But it, it kind of almost normalises it and separates you from it because it's no longer in your head anymore. It's on a piece of paper. And that was when my wife said, look, you, you need to go and get help. She said, it's up to you what you do, whether you're going to the doctors or a charity or you know a local group kind of thing. And then we both agreed, well, actually, the logical starting point is to go to the doctor. Um, so I did that. I had the chat with the GP. And, you know, I, it, it was a weird situation because... I was adamant I wasn't going to have antidepressants. That's not for me. I've actually had antidepressants before, but not for depression. When I had, I've had surgery on my spine. So when you're in a lot of pain, they give you what is ultimately an antidepressant to cut the nerve off, the, the feeling basically from the brain, so you don't feel the pain. So I'd had amitriptyline, I think it's called, years ago. And my God, I had the worst hangover ever. And I've had some hangovers, trust me. <laughs> um, and so I thought, there's no way, feeling like this, do I want to go on that medication where the risk is that I have those side effects? Because I just thought that I knew that that would make me worse. And obviously because of what I do as a coach and uh, being qualified in NLP, so I understand a bit around kind of cognitive behavioural therapy. For me, I was like, to the GP, no, and God bless it. So literally got out to me, it was like a yellow pages of drugs. Um, and I was just like, no, and I explained why. And then started to have a bit of therapy and a bit of counselling and that helped. Um, the big challenge I found was that makes you talk a lot about the bad stuff 
and I felt I'd gone past that stage. What I needed was a bit of, where they call it coping strategies. I don't, I don't know, but that bit of. I guess this is where the emotional intelligence bit kicks in for me, because I needed to develop my ability that when I felt like that, to take myself out of it. Because you can, because you almost learning the exercises you could do to make yourself in a better mindset. Yeah, yeah, and there, there was a bit for me. So I, that was June last year when I saw the GP and then spent a bit of time in, uh, seeing a therapist last summer. And then I turned 40. And I remember actually through the summer, the big thing I felt through the summer was, I remember going to my cousin's wedding and other bits and pieces. And whenever I was at like social events, like big weddings or just around my mates or whatever, I, I wasn't enjoying myself. Uh, other people probably won't pick that up but internally I was like, I really don't want to be here. I don't think I deserve to be here. I don't I don't think I deserve to enjoy myself. Because all these things that are going around in your mind, your thoughts are telling you that, you know, you, you should go home and lie in bed and you should be de- depressed and all that kind of stuff. So it continued for me beyond seeing a GP. And then I remember in, had my birthday uh, in August and I had like two of the best weeks of my life. Went away with my wife and the kids to a uh, place in Torquay that we love I didn't do anything we work I didn't look at the emails just basically stuck two fingers up and said no I'm going off and enjoying myself got back it was the week of my birthday had a great party you know saw all my old mates and all that sort of stuff so there was a high and then going back to work was just an immediate low um, so and then I remember doing one of my first big public talks at the CIPD conference coaching conference that was massive for me like I almost like an ambition achieved. So riding on this crest of a wave and kind of knowing then that I was on this trajectory to then work for myself, I noticed then as well on the back of that, you have this come down, um, which is right. I felt it after the coaching conference that we did a, a, a month or so ago that you do, because you have this amazing experience. When those emotions are not there, like sportsmen talk about it, Ricky Atten's a great example, isn't he? And Freddie Flintoff say that when they retired and they don't get that high of winning a, a fight or uh, winning the ashes or whatever they, they yearn Definitely, for that because it's almost like the whole adrenaline of pre-event or pre something exciting that you're doing and, and almost the build-up of the thinking about it before that once it's kind of over yeah and so often you even if you think about it in the most amazing way possible in your mind it never ends up like that so i think it's just this weird kind of thing of oh what i've been thinking about for the past x amount of time has just happened yes i felt high but now it's over yeah it is and i and it, i think that time I and mean, it was off because that was that was probably at, in september was probably the lowest i'd felt so i um I'd, one of the examples of well i guess the example for me was I sat in work and kind of started to act on these suicidal thoughts. So I wrote it down. I have to laugh because it's typical of me, really. I wrote it down on a post-it note and did it like a mind map. So I almost did it like I was designing a training course or something. So, and but However, luckily for me, doing that way, I literally sat there in work and wrote down where I could commit suicide, uh, how many pills I could buy, what kind of pills, how much alcohol I'd need, what lies I'd have to tell to put me in that situation. Oh my gosh, so you, you weren't just thinking Yeah, it yeah, I was like, actually like planning it yeah. on a post-it note. And and I think that was the bit for me because, and I was sat at my desk in work with people around me, so if someone was watching me do that, they'll just think I was working. Um, and, and that was the bit, I mean, that wasn't the first time I'd kind of, uh, it was the first time I'd literally started to plan it out 
but those suicidal thoughts remember like standing on a train platform and you know and, and I always share this because it's this bit of this is where I think people's awareness needs to be raised because the person next to you you've got no idea what they're thinking I'm not saying you go up to every stranger and you go are you alright but it's that bit of like don't judge people because I remember standing on a train platform and when that announcement comes to say like the next train coming past platform 2 or whatever doesn't stop it for somebody with severe depression what what thought appears in your head is well I could jump in front of that train and and it's that weird that that's just naturally that's what happens because you your depressed state tells you this is an opportunity it's, auto, it's like an automatic response yeah that's how you're feeling yeah and it, it's bizarre even thinking about that now um, I remember like being in the supermarket with my kids thinking well you're eight or five or whatever and I could buy a load of ibuprofen and a load of alcohol you haven't got a clue what I'm doing so it's that almost like you're carrying it around with you kind of thing but it got to that real kind of culmination for me with a post-it note and I remember kind of then taking a step back <laughs> typical of me then put my headphones in and put some Paul Weller on and and I don't something like twigged and I sat there and thought Tim what the fucking hell are you doing <laughs> you, you don't want to die you've you've got an amazing family you know i know you bring all those positive things into your mind and it was almost like i don't know if it's an epiphany or whatever but something that finally twigged for me where i could recognize the emotions i was feeling and then almost take a step back uh, kind of separating myself and going right they're not the, that's not the behavior that i want because if i go through with that there's no coming back from that if you commit suicide you there ain't no <laughs> Yeah. You don't wake up the next morning and go, oh, I've got another chance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, We're not cats, we don't have nine lives. That is fine like that. So, yeah, there was a bit for me where it was like, right, okay, this isn't what I want, this isn't me, and there was just that moment. And then I kind of used that. And this is why I talk about kind of the emotional intelligence saved my life, because that, that is emotional intelligence that I was able to go, this isn't right, the way that you're reacting to your thoughts, these emotions are not what you want to experience, and that's definitely not the behaviour that you want to follow through with so I was then able to go right okay that's what I need to talk to somebody about that's what I need to kind of develop so saw a therapist only a couple of times really and just kind of ran through it with her and then started to just develop my own way of dealing with it um, and the bit for me there was probably a big realisation and, and uh, again the Paul Weller link uh, any any excuse to mention Paul Weller um, there's a quote that uh, I have a screensaver and I'm using talks that Paul he says you can only be true to yourself and reading that quote made me realise that that's what was sending me into that really dark depression because I was in a job in a company where and I'm not saying I'm right or they're wrong but I had to be different I was almost trying to live up to their brand it's not really a brand that I agree with I don't really care for some of the tonal language and stuff like that and that was a big thing for me that what I was doing was really stretching the boundaries of my values and not then obviously that never you gives becoming you a, a different version of yourself yeah and no human being likes that you know mm. you Christ you know you got too far you're talking brainwashing all that kind of stuff and I think that's what happens in a lot of organizations where people turn to inertia and they just give up and they are in relationships they're not happy with because someone forces them to be different but they don't know how to respond, so they just go, you know, right, I'll just be boring or whatever. Mm. Oops. Um, so there was, that was the big realisation for me, and then kind of that was the bit, right, I need to make enthuse happen, I need to go and work for myself and really give me the best opportunity to do what I absolutely love. 
so I put all my heart and soul into that and you know it, I guess again realising it's 12 months on um, I'm not cured um, I have a saying that I think I'll have depression for the rest of my life and a couple of people have challenged me on that but the reason I say that is to avoid me relax is to avoid me becoming complacent and that keeps me on my toes so that when I have a bad moment and I did uh, beginning of May I had a bad time um, and a particular bad weekend and that keeps me on the toes to say when it happens you know what it is Tim don't go that way go the way that you want to go and I actually wrote things down again and spoke to my wife about it again and then that allows me to kind of realise so th one of the things I've done is said I've decided to make my depression the best thing that's ever happened to me because that gives me the motivation that when it creeps up on you to kind of put it back in its box and to have these kind of conversations yeah. and I've you know I've, I've shared it with my mates and spoke to my mum and dad about it and our kid and stuff like that um, to try and well not to try actually to make something positive out of it because I, th I think one of the challenges for mental health is um, at the NHS this isn't a slant on the NHS because I'm the biggest supporter of it. they're not equipped to deal with it they're not at all how can they be mm. when you think about how many people are dealing with mental health issues they're just not I think, equipped like you were saying before like unfortunately I, don't, I was going to say the easy option maybe that's the wrong thing to say but often it is the case that people will get told to take these antidepressants and there's not many other options that are given that people can take the route down and yeah. I think you know like I I know people that have been on these antidepressants and then they become even more of a self that they don't recognise and they then try to come off them straight away and it's, yeah. it's just this whole cycle of not knowing who they are and then feeling even worse and then f feeling like they need to be reliant on these pills and it's just that's because they that's what they didn't look into any other options they just thought right okay well this is the path i have to go down because my doctor's telling me to or something yeah. so yeah the stats of it are frightening is, is there something like seven and a half million people have some kind of prescription for antidepressants every year in the I think UK. It's something crazy like so, that. Which I think is the population of London. Or I might I might be wrong with that. So if somebody wants to correct well, no, me, I'm honestly, happy for the, too, and I think and that's the thing with, with mental health. Like when the statistics, when you get into it, is is frightening. Yeah. And I think there's so many more people who are who are suffering mental health, or you know, on prescription drugs for mental health than people think. But it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's that bit, and I think that's the bit for me, is I, I know I could have walked out of the GP that day, and again, this isn't a criticism, this is just my observation, I could have walked out that day with a prescription for antidepressants and time off work. That's That would have been the worst thing for me. Now, all right, I was able to see that. For some people, that's categorically what they need, and, and again, this is why it's so hard, because I think everyone's different everybody needs a different kind of individual treatment so i and on obviously again well like you said everyone's different and off sometimes it is the answer that you you know there's a chemical imbalance in your brain so you need yeah. to have the pills and obviously that's amazing that the pills are help, able to help people in that situation but yeah it's yeah. when it's kind of potentially like you for example not the best route to go down you could have gone down that route and not be in the position you're in today. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I was very lucky to attend one of the sessions that they do at Offload, which is a a charity initiative run in Warrington Wolves, the rugby club, and there's other rugby clubs that do it. 
so I attended one of their sessions and I have a guest speaker that comes in and then there's people in there so it, it's for men um, they do loads for mental health or yeah health, they're don't brilliant they? if anybody listens to this in the Warrington area and wants to get involved in something like that just get get in touch yeah. with the guys from Offload they're brilliant and they, there was there was guys there who openly talked about you know suffered depression for probably 50 years you know they're in the 70s now and looking back and they say that their life has been spent trying to find the right treatment or the right way to deal with it and I think for me if I can just have conversations like this or with me mates just to raise that awareness that there's different approaches and I believe that there's a lot of people that if we can develop people's emotional intelligence we'll be able to fight depression and, and win that battle because really the, the battle with depression and again I can speak from my experience is surviving um, I hate saying that but that, that is the, the cold hard truth and then living with it really and, and kind of fighting it some people go through treatment and beat it and, and can say yeah you know I'm through that um, I, like I say I think for me I'll, I'll have it for the rest of my life and then that's a way of kind of just finding those different strategies and I do mindfulness and, and stuff like that but I think it's raising people's awareness that you have a choice because whatever thoughts come in your brain you control that voice in your head and it's about them being able to educate or raise the awareness so people can say I can respond to that and choose that you know what I do you know I, I know for me I get my energy from people <laughs> you probably picked that up already from <laughs> knowing me for only a couple of months <laughs> so now I work for myself and I literally work for my kitchen table what I have to do is say right okay if I've got a week at home I need to plan calls in or I need to sometimes force myself to sit in Starbucks for an hour just to be around people and are they calls to you know friends and family and things like that or are they yeah, calls or, about work or, yeah, yeah yeah or you know kind of yeah just catching up with people kind of in my network or you know specifically about work projects or whatever it might be because I know then I'll have that contact and I'll be able to get that energy because obviously working for yourself there's there's anxiety and stuff that comes with it and you can spend a lot of time waiting for people to come back to you and all that sort of stuff uh, and you don't have a guaranteed salary every month so yeah. you know it can creep in if, if I'm if my mind's not occupied and I'm not doing what I love th- there's a bit of if you learn more about yourself which obviously is emotional intelligence starts self-awareness then you can start to see okay this is what I need to do this is what I need to give myself the opportunity to do and then kind of go force yourself to do that and not not feel guilty about it so for me it's a bit like not feeling guilty if I want to finish work at three o'clock and pick my kids up and all right my kids are six and nine so they can come home and piss me off more than anything (laughs) (laughs) but in the best Uh, way possible (laughs) yeah yeah please accept what I mean by that but 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 I know that I've got that energy I've got people then if you know when my kids come home it's then right okay I need to make their tea I need to put the bags away and it's like shit tasks that no one gets out of bed in the morning to do but it, it gives you that energy and it gives you a focus and so it's just learning more about yourself really and I feel from my experience and from speaking to other people a lot of it comes from how we respond to work and and you know helping people to look into that kind of positive psychology and move us forward you know so one of the things that I've done is talking to me mates now I I don't put stuff on Facebook about my depression uh, that that's more to do with my personal opinion social media to be perfectly honest I share it in a in a blog that I'll do with enthu- you know from an enthused point of view so I've not blurted this out to the world. I've told my closest friends 
face to face. I text one or two of them first, and then I've had face to face conversations. And then I've never said to them, "Don't tell anybody." So other people have contacted me, or I've seen them, you know, around someone's house, a party, in a pub, or whatever, and they've approached me, and that's fine. I'm cool with that, you know, as long as they kind of treat it in the way that I would want to treat it. Because then a bit of raising awareness. Because I then think, well, if one of my mates ever feels like this, because nothing, I've not had any trauma in my life. You know, thank God, such wood. That's probably not wood, but. <laughs> um, it, so it, you know, it, if if any of my closest mates were to go through with that, I feel like, well, perhaps I've just led by example, and I'm not saying the way I deal with it is perfect, but it might then if they start to feel like that, they might go actually maybe I should talk to a doctor, or maybe I should just ask Tim. Well, that's mate. the thing they've then got you to come and speak to, and the fact that you've been so open about it and so willing to speak to them around yeah. you, hopefully, if they're in a position where they feel like they want to talk, then they'll feel able yeah. to. and that's I can't. You know, I'm not a counsellor, I never never pretend to be, but it's just that bit of if somebody goes, well, Tim did it, so perhaps I could have a conversation. So, yeah, I, I think that's the bit, is just raising that awareness, really, because I think it's too easy, particularly in the workplace, for people to feel like they're trapped and people to feel like, I can't do this and I can't do that. And actually, it's your life, no, no matter what. You know, I uh, left a well-paid job that would have had prospects either in that business or led on to further employment at a time when I've got a, a mortgage, a, a high, the highest car payment I've ever had in my entire life, two kids, and all the other shit that comes with that in terms of bills. But I was a bit like, yeah, but that's my choice. And actually, if I don't do it, or if I do it and it doesn't work out, I'll get a job and all, you know, it, there's Sometimes always the risk a choice. Of not doing it is bigger than the risk of just going for it and doing it. That is a fantastic way of putting it, G. Yeah. And just living in, in, you know, in two years' time, looking back and thinking, well, oh, and then being in a position where you can't do it, and thinking, yeah, why didn't I do it? Yeah, there's a. I think it's a Simon Sinek quote, so I'll Sinek rather. I'll give him the credit for it anyway. But Simon Sinek says that thing about you, you can earn back lost money. You can't get back lost time. I like that. And it is just, I remember, I'm quite a big fan of his, um, and, I, and I think, you know, the way he writes and the way he expresses that really struck a chord in me, because it is that bit of, well, I trust myself not to lose my house, do you know what I mean? And so far I've been successful, so there's no reason to believe I won't continue to be successful. <laughs> I do just think that that mental health, a lot of it can come from the circumstances we're in and then how we respond and people start to feel like, I'm trapped and you know we go into this thing that we society conditions us to think that oh this is a good oh, employer and I've got a job for life well actually you can get to 58 and they'll make you redundant and won't give a shit about doing that yeah they don't have to to no, no, I'm not defending them but they don't have to and then you, you know there's a danger that you spend your working life thinking I've got this pension at I don't know 60 65 67 and someone can take that from under your feet in less than 10 years before you're due to retire you ain't going to get a payoff, hardly anywhere, unless you work for the government in some kind of top job. No one's going to pay you off enough yeah. to live until your pension kicks in. And I guess I'm just that bit of, I don't want my that later stage in life to be like that, when I'm reliant on somebody else giving me something. Well, I'll decide what I... Yeah, you do it for yourself. Yeah, and you know, I now have a personal pension, so I'm, I'm doing a sensible thing to it, but... 
I just think for me there's there can be too much of a risk and I actually I've spoke to a lot of people who've shared stories about their parents it happening to them and them now having that time of life and it's, you don't live to retire certainly not however with any luck touch wood again we're all going to get to that age it's a bloody good thing if you get to that age because that means you're still alive <laughs> you know and you've healthy and again touch wood and all that so you're better off for me look at how can I take control and and me, putting your mental health first as well and not just being like oh I'm you know I'm miserable in the job but I've, I've you know I A got money at the end or A getting a good salary B getting a good salary now yeah it's putting your mental health first and yeah like everybody says money can't buy you happiness so yeah. you have to kind of learn to or do what you need to do to be happy yeah and I, and I know I, I am might sound ridiculous because of what I described before, but I feel quite lucky to have experienced what I've experienced at a young age. Um, I told you I turned 40, I'm 39 really. When I turned 40... I didn't know you were 39, I, I thought you were 39. I turned 39 and when I turned... Thanks, G. <laughs> <laughs> I must have dyed my hair when you first met me. <laughs> and then when I turned 50, I'll stay on 49 for 10 years because it's a bit of that mental thing of too often we get into our 40s and it's now it's all about, oh, I'll pay my mortgage off or... I'll do this, but you know I feel quite lucky because I and I think, oh my God, imagine if I went through the mental health issues I have when I'm sixty, and then there's there's potentially my regret stuff, you know. And, and look, everybody's individual, but I, I and I would never tell somebody what to do with their life. There was a big realization for me last year that there's too many people who are settling and saying this is my job it pays me and it's relatively secure um, and then what they do is go to work and are proud that they don't really do a lot what 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 you're proud of being lazy you're proud of not keeping your mind occupied nice one and then what happens is that becomes like a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy so then when I get home I'll sit on the couch and look at social media and I'll watch videos on YouTube of some bloke, I don't know, eating a dog shit butty or something, or whatever videos are on YouTube. I was going to say you, watch your search yeah, history on YouTube. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, just to just find that way, you kind of then end up in a world where other people are kind of determining what you do. Now, if that's what makes people happy, good, go for it. I just challenge people and say, write down what makes you happy in your job, and then go for that. It's not about... I made the decision to go self-employed because I wanted that freedom but if you are in a big organization write down what you really really enjoy about your job whatever that is it doesn't matter and now articulate it in a way that it might be I enjoy being around people I enjoy giving feedback I enjoy doing presentations I enjoy doing lots of analysis and then look within the organization or your sector where's the opportunity to get into a job where you can do most of what you love because I tell you now every employer will allow you to do stuff that you don't enjoy because they've got money to make they've got shareholders to please they've got targets to it blah 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 so if you don't take that opportunity and stand up to your boss or the the employer and say look this is what i'm good at this is what i enjoy this is what i'd like to do more of you'll continue to be allowed to do the stuff that bores you demotivates you and uh, yeah, I, I think for me, that's it's just helping people to kind of see that we've always got that that choice. And you might have to, you know, I, I didn't like 
I didn't do everything last year to be in the position in now. I've spent five years getting qualified and all, you know, getting experience and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think for me, it's just really looking at what it what it what it really is, because actually you can do pretty much anything you want. I mean, I, I can't climb Everest because I'd die. But <laughs> we've trained for five years and then climb Everest. Yeah, <laughs> still, actually, I struggled with Snowden. I could walk for three weeks after that. But I, I just think it's that bit of, and like I said, I'm only speaking from my experience. No, but I think you're completely right, and I think it's very important to like know as an individual that if you put your mind to something then you can achieve it and it's really interesting what you were saying about people kind of enjoying getting by doing the bare minimum in the job because they will ultimately get to a point where you know if you're not working your brain every day then by the end of a few years what yeah. you're not gonna have as much of a stronger brain yeah. at the end of it and I think it, we're kind of we are in this world at the moment where you do go home and you scroll on social media and things and it's not even just letting other people depict your happiness it's letting other people depict like your unhappiness as well and putting you in this kind of zombie mode of just not fulfilling I was going to say anything that sounds awful but you're not fulfilling much at all because you're not kind of in that mindset of okay well what do I want to achieve what do I want to get out of life I don't think people have that kind of push towards doing things like that and I know you've mentioned a few times but I've I love the fact that for you journaling and writing things down has massively helped you in life and because I only started doing that properly a couple of months ago um, and so I try and write now uh, every morning three things that I'm grateful for yeah. and if I'm having a bit of a day where I'm not really feeling great I'll really struggle to even write one thing down but then because it's such a cycle that I get into I'll just force myself to do yeah, it, and yeah. that's massively helped me. And I've, you know, I've heard different people talk about the power of journaling and how beneficial it is. And I think it's good to have these different exercises that you do, whether that is writing a letter to yourself or writing down what you like in your job, what you dislike in your job. It's so yeah. powerful what writing things down can do. It is, and I think it's that's what I really encourage people to to think about. And if I'm honest, I think there's a bit. That I think particularly with men, we put a barrier up because we spend too much time on social media or because we think that that's the world and all that kind of stuff. We kind of put the barrier up and you're right, if, if that's what works is, is writing down those things that you're grateful for or just journaling what you've done or, you know, sometimes people say they'll, they'll walk the dog in the morning and think about that. I don't mind sharing. I pray. Um, I, I just say a, a really short prayer and like that thank you for today thank you for giving me the ability thank you for giving me the confidence I might add the Lord's Prayer on the end of it why do we do that? probably maybe a bit of my upbringing um, we're not church goers per se but it's nice to have that faith I also do that because I know it works for me and it's weird really because saying that out loud I know some people might hear that go, oh, what do you pray for? however going through what I've gone through has got me to the stage where if somebody hears that I do that and they think it's weird or they laugh or they go, what's that for? I couldn't give a shit. I couldn't give an absolute minimal shit about what someone thinks about me. that. <laughs> and and that I, I probably wouldn't have felt like that 12 months ago. But again, there's a bit of me seeming mental health is that if somebody challenges that, I might stop doing it. However, what you've got to do is say, well, actually, if it works for me, 
And I'm not saying everybody should turn to God. I'll, I'll never be a born again Christian. <laughs> I like drinking <laughs> too much. But it's what works for you, isn't it? And yeah. like we've said, everybody is different. It's finding that yeah. exercise or whatever it is, a form of meditation or walking your dog or X, Y, and Z. It's finding that thing that does help you yeah. and does put you in that mindset where you feel positive. Well, it's. I always kind of think about it as this bit of, and this, this, this might sound quite strong or quite deep, but whatever you do, your family, my mates, my mum, you know, all of my, you know, people who care about me, would rather I said a little prayer at night to help me than I commit suicide, or I continue to be in a depressive state and not be happy. 100%. You know, it, it, it's better that, that people find, whether it's quirky or just those little things that we do, than becoming another statistic of a man or, a, you know, whoever committing suicide. So that that's the way I look at it. And like I say, I, I, just, I just don't give a shit because if that helps me, well, that's up to me. It's got nothing to do yeah. with anybody else. It, it's, just, it's just something that I like to do because of what you said there. It's that bit of that reminds you that... What, what you've done today or what you're happy for because it's really easy to, to lie in bed and go oh I didn't do that I didn't do that they didn't come back to me I wonder if they thought that yeah. I wonder if this happens tomorrow oh my god oh my god whereas actually if you just stop and go well if I find something that works for me in terms of making me happy then I'll continue to do that and it's just that bit of why be miserable if you can be happy definitely <laughs> anyone can have a conversation with me about that yeah. if they tell me they want to be miserable they're lying <laughs> But I think it's even little things like, for example, I I know some guys that if I said, oh, you know, you should write down three things that you're grateful for every day, they'd be like, piss off, what are yeah. you about? And it's kind of this stigma around, well, I probably know some women that would say that to me yeah. as well, but is this stigma around certain exercises and mindfulness exercises and things like that, for example, praying, that there is this stigma around certain things that are yeah. seen in a negative light, and if it's something that, like you said, it's like, is it positive, has a positive effect on you, then yeah. there should not be any stigma around that. The only stigma should be the <coughs> fact that it's a positive thing. Yeah, and I just kind of think some of my mates would react like that I know they would and that's fine I'll tell them to listen to this podcast and they can tell me what they think of it <laughs> but the, <coughs> I just think well I truly hope that they don't ever go through some of the things that I've gone through and some of the things that I know other people have gone through from a mental health point of view because then they'll never have to find the prayer they'll never have to find the writing down if people can go through life and not experience mental health good I'll know envy towards those people so good I wish it was a much bigger percentage split where people did go through life with no mental health issues because at the moment it's becoming there's too much of a tipping point that there's more than there's not experiencing it if that makes any sense no definitely so actually I hope the people who don't understand that or think it's weird or think it's uh, soft or whatever good because that means that you're not experiencing any kind of yeah. mental health issues and you're not trying to or need them exercises that are going to make you feel like that yeah yeah so your friends that are males um like i know I, I briefly mentioned this before that i wanted to kind of talk about this because it was you know there is a still unfortunately a stigma around the fact that sayings like you should man up and grow some balls etc <laughs> unfortunately there is this stigma that men shouldn't cry and all yeah, yeah. that have you found that like have you got a group of guys that are open about your emotions or is that kind of taking time or <coughs> it, 
takes one of you to start them conversations or you know has it been hard to grow up as a man and have lived yeah. with those stigmas around you yeah um god that's a really thought-provoking question g i i grew up with an older sister our kids uh <laughs> i think i said this the other Big day up our kid. <laughs> my, my, my mother might kill me for saying this but my, most of my teenage years, my dad worked away. Uh, he, was, he wasn't in prison. Most some people go, oh, he was in prison. No, he was actually <laughs> working abroad. So my, most of my teenage years, your adolescence, when you're most impressionable and emotional, that kind of stuff, was spent living with an older teenage sister who, let's just say, has an opinion and got in quite a lot of trouble, uh, and a menopausal mother. <laughs> So that leads to being around emotion, <laughs> shall very we say. Hormonal women. Yeah, um, and I, I got bullied quite a lot before uh, I turned ten because I had big ears, so I had my ears pinned back on my tenth birthday. So I was probably quite an emotional child because of that. So I can see, looking back, that I think my level of emotional intelligence has come through a bit of that experience. So I've always talked to certain people. Um, I've never talked kind of openly about that. There's, there's probably a few friends that I've kind of always talked about it. However, since I shared kind of what I've been through with my closest mates, so there was probably seven or eight, I'm not going to name them because you might have a friend clue they are, but there was probably seven or eight, including my brother-in-law actually, who's married to our kid, who were closest friends, who I did share it with, either again, either face-to-face or text them, have just been brilliant. They, they've kind of given me my space. Do we talk about it a lot? No. They'll ask me about it, maybe in a manly kind of way. How are you doing? Or, you know, how are you getting on, mate? You know, but with genuine interest, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, there's probably a couple of my friends that do specifically ask me about it and kind of, you know, actively want to understand what I go through. And, and they allow me to make the choice as to whether I talk about it or not. Um, you know, it, it was weird, really, because I had to kind of, as a man, well, Again, I, I can only go through my experience, I can't generalise as a man. I had to really think about how I was going to have that conversation. I had to kind of plan it. So God bless me, best mate, uh, Budgie. Uh, he was the one where I was like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm, he's the one I'm going to tell first. Uh, so he was in the pub, kind of engineered a situation where we, me and him ducked out to go to the pub for a bit while my wife was with his wife at their house. And I just kind of approached it and said, look, I need to tell you something. And just said I've not been very well and then just talked him through being diagnosed with depression because I think that then makes it real for somebody I'm not just kind of saying these things and then we just and do you know what he just listened that that's all he did and that's said amazing. that's so great that you had that yeah support um, around you for that you know we, we did it while smoking cigarettes and drinking beers you, you know just to you know um, <laughs> but we he, he did he just listened and he was a bit like Jesus mate I'm like shocked and you know um, asked me a few questions and then you know he shared little bits for him how it's hard sometimes when he gets home from work and stuff he's got a family and all that kind of stuff so that was kind of the bit okay that felt all right and you know he's my best mate so clearly he was always going to understand well he was always going to listen I guess or you know he, he certainly wasn't going to take the piss kind of thing and then I just kind of went to other friends then and again either face to face or I'd text them and then I'd have a phone conversation and if I'm honest they were just genuinely concerned uh, 
genuinely interested there was no judgment uh, they asked me questions and I guess there was just that bit of you know they, they just said what friends say that look I'm here for you if you ever just want to go for a pint or if you just want to text me if you're having a bad day or you know and they have shared it with their wives and they you know some of their wives have spoke to me about it and stuff so it's it's a bit that it's for me there's a bit of kind of like well it's out there you know and if, if people want to talk to me about it they can like I say I'm not someone who's going to put it on Facebook um, if people want to do that and it helps that's up to them but and that's not a judgement that's just my decision I, I think it's quite a personal thing and I think it's if yeah. you've got them people around you that you're able to have them conversations with then I think the people around you that are closest to you or all the people that really matter but again that's kind of my opinion but yeah yeah yeah. It's and you know I spoke to mum and dad about it and stuff and, and our kid and all that and it yeah, it, I think that was the bit. So I did that around Christmas time last year. Not not at the Christmas table. <laughs> that that would have been a bit shit, wouldn't it? Um, so I guess I'm six months on from that. And again, that was a big help um, because I, I don't feel like I'm hiding anything, um, if that makes sense. And I think that's a bit that can sometimes contribute because people... Like when I uh, was employed and had a bit of depression, I told my boss... I had kind of different bosses through this, the whole kind of last year and I took, I don't know, three or four days if that, um, just took a bit of time at home, kind of still kept in touch with work, which was great, my boss supported me that, but then when I returned to work, I wouldn't say I was encouraged and I definitely wasn't told to, but I was categorically given the opportunity to lie about why I'd been off work and, and um was kind of how bizarre yeah so they said you don't have to put that down you can put that you've got a cold or you know an upset stomach and, I, and, I, and by that's that, actually really upsetting yeah but. well especially since i worked in the people team hr um and that was a big and at that time i was then in a position where i was quite strong enough to go no yeah if if people, somebody sees this in my team and they want to talk to me about it bring it on I, i'm not lying um and if I'm honest, the person who had that conversation with me, I just don't think they knew how to deal with it. I don't... I don't. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's because there's this weird yeah. stigma attached to it that it's a really awful thing and that y- you shouldn't talk about it. But, yeah. gosh, I, I, I'm quite shocked about that. Yeah, I, I felt like it was a bit... We don't know how to deal with it, so we'll kind of maybe give him the chance under to... under the carpet. Yeah, um, give him the chance to cover it up. And I just think... If that had been said to me like earlier in the year, or if that gets said to somebody else who isn't as lucky as me in terms of doing the job that I do, that gives always gives me the chance to develop emotional intelligence, that could be really hard. Definitely. Yeah, you that, could take that as a really negative thing. That yeah. gosh, I should hide this from people. I should yeah. not tell anybody how I'm feeling. This is like a almost embarrassing thing to have. Yeah. That's awful. And it, it was weird for me because, like I say, the, the person I'm referring to was really supportive of me and encouraged me to have that time off. I, I just think they just didn't know. I, I think they thought that was the right thing to do because of the way mental health gets. Kind they probably of portrayed maybe him. thought that you would have wanted to have done that. Yeah, or? yeah. I think they did it with the right intentions. Mm. It just opened my <coughs> excuse me, opened my eyes and made me worry that how off how many other times is that happening to people? Because obviously the danger there is that somebody takes the subliminal message that well I should lie about it and I shouldn't I shouldn't tell people about it and you know that just then kind of gets you a bit into that spiral because that's where a lot of mental health issues come from is it's just it can be a complete cycle yeah definitely it's like um i wrote a report about 
mental health and uni and it was all about this depressive cycle and it was that once you kind of get trapped in that there's it's very hard to yeah. take yourself out of it I mean, that, that's why a lot of people turn to drugs or alcohol because yeah. i referred to before like me having that high of talking at a conference or just doing something i love in my job well that that's took you out of that cycle yeah and then before you went back in again yeah and then before you know it it's, it's the dopamine thing isn't it that obviously positive experiences release that dopamine so if you decide to drink or take drugs and you have an amazing time and forget about all that depression it's because the dopamine's high but as that starts to wear off you know dopamine is probably the hardest drug or chemical in terms of the come down it gives you you know because it, it's naturally produced by your body it's in your veins and all that kind of stuff it's literally yeah. part of you and then obviously it can quickly get replaced by serotonin and you know all, all the kind of bad thing, bad chemicals that your body releases. So that's that bit of where people end up in that cycle because it's a bit, well, if I drink, I forget about it. If I go out and have a good time, I forget about it. And it's just always being aware that, unfortunately, that good time doesn't last forever. Trust me, I tried to make it happen when I was in my 20s <laughs> and unfortunately it doesn't. <laughs> and it's harder to get back to that point. Every time you think you're going to get back, it's... Yeah. it's harder to reach that point again yeah and it's I, I think find the thing that you love uh, you know what, whatever that might be and kind of throw yourself into it so whether that's fishing whether that's poetry what, whatever to me it's it's reading so I, I'm never without a book I've probably more often than not got two books on the go um, and whatever you want to read that's up to you so mine differs from books relating to me job so they get classed as self-help or leadership books you know for me kind of developing emotional intelligence or i read stuff about music or um read the tattooist of auschwitz recently which everybody should read <laughs> that should be on the syllabus in schools so and then do that as often as you possibly can so if you've got five minutes read five pages yeah. don't go to your phone and piss yourself off because somebody's doing something that you want to do and, and a, a bit for me is music as well uh, I cannot uh, play a chord or sing a note it's listening to music that that's what takes me away and I love it so I read a lot about music I've I, I've kind of become obsessed with certain genres of music and I've got a vinyl collection that costs a lot of money um, it makes you happy <laughs> that's all I'm exactly <laughs> yeah if you see how ecstatic I am on Saturday when the rock, uh, the postman knocks on the door and gives me my brand new Rolling Stones <laughs> vinyl and you know, like everything stops and put it on dead loud but that you know that's the thing if you find what makes you happy and, and there's a bit then as well is that I know with reading or my vinyl collection that's a high that doesn't have to end because I can listen to that music at home on vinyl and obviously I can take it with me on my phone now because you can literally take music everywhere with you now. Yeah. I can take a book everywhere with me. So it's just finding that thing. So, you know, if your thing is playing pool, well, don't just stop it when you're physically playing pool. Read about it. You know, there'll be podcasts. That's interesting. podcasts about everything, isn't there? <laughs> I don't think I'd ever listen to one about pool. But, you know, it, it's that bit of you just, just take yourself into it because that's the bit of where the more you can have those positive thoughts, and again, the Paul Weller quote, you can only be true to yourself, you then bring that positive psychology out. So, you know, you, you kind of... Absorb everything you can about it. Yeah, and yeah. And, and people move on, don't they? Some people get obsessed with golf and then move on to something else. That... You know, a lot of that's your personality traits. My personality trait, I like 
certain things so I'm obsessed with football as well so I've got I take my kids to watch the women's team and stuff like that now because they're they'll watch the women's team <laughs> probably because my man's team is shit because I support United but <laughs> so it's stuff like that you know if you again if you find that bit you love well just just look at how else you get interested in it is the you know people you can talk to is the podcast you can go on to talk about it I don't know you know it's that's the bit that don't don't go for the extreme high all the time look at that consistency and just kind of take an interest because it's it's there I'm, I'm a mod so I read books about mod from the 60s and now I understand exactly what it means and kind of the, the key players that created that mod movement and stuff like that whereas before I just thought you bought a Fred Perry and you were a mod <laughs> but that bit of um, now I understand it more it just again it because you're interested in it so if you have a bit of downtime just pick up a book and it's or watch a video or whatever it's just that bit of almost like kind of occupying your mind a little bit I was reading a book about Oasis and Noel, that's, Noel Gallagher talks about that, that for him when he was on tour he's like I can't be bored if I get bored I'm the worst person to be around now this was in the 90s so maybe it's different now but it's that bit of what it's he's just showing constantly there. stimulating your brain and yeah. keeping yourself up so that's and he says about you know he loves obviously loves music so he said he knows about himself if he gets bored he's a nightmare so if he has down he picks up his guitar now that's literally what he does for a living so it was just I thought it was a good example of where if you know that about yourself or if you find that you've got a bit of downtime and it's that oh I'll reach for social media oh, just something that pisses you off uh, clearly I have quite strong views on certain parts of social media so I'm kind of referring to that a lot yeah. but no I think it's a massive <clears throat> I always say this if it's u- utilised in a positive way it's great but if it's utilised in a bad way it's yeah awful especially yeah. on your mental health so yeah i think that's really good advice i think that's really very interesting as well and hopefully if people do listen and do can like do that rather than grabbing for the phone then that's gonna have a positive impact yeah or it, you know it might be instead of reaching for a beer or a cigarette or whatever you know I, I, you know just whatever it might be it's if you've got an interest and it's funny actually because i going back to that point I was making before where people kind of go into a life of inertia and give up and just say well this is me and my employer dictates things or whatever you then suppress those interests and you kind of like forget about them and then you almost think like oh well I've lost interest in that you haven't, you've just got out of the habit and and you've allowed other people to change your thinking on that because you think, oh, well, I've got to show an interest in this, or I've got to do that, actually go back and say, yeah, I, I did have a massive interest in this, I'll revisit it, or is there something new that I've had an interest in? You know, There's a guy I know from years and years ago who was at the offload session, and he, he's very open about his mental health, and now works for a mental health charity, and you know, for him, he said, I found running was the thing. He said, I'd never, he used to play football and all that kind of stuff, but he said, I never really kind of, ran properly you know and for him he uh, had a lot of issues with drug and alcohol he said that's where I get my buzz now he said he's, he's not Amazing. touched drugs for years and years he, he he can control his drinking that he won't drink for three months then have a blowout with his mates because he knows that's about having a good time so it's all control and he says for me it's you know for him it's running and he'll run and run <laughs> sounds like bloody Forrest Gump but <laughs> but that's where he, he just found that so that there's always something and it's just that bit of you know you might you might want to be a stand-up comedian you know well go and have a go then what's stopping you 
talk to people. That's the brilliant thing of social media. You can connect with people. So I've, like through that, I've connected with authors or people who I've listened to podcasts and gone, oh my God, these people are amazing. Or people like Gavin Oates and Kirsty Mack and Damien Hughes, Jim Lodge, just to name a few. I, I don't exactly think that they are my best mates. However, you can just reach out and just give a little message. And I've, I've met a couple of them now and you can message them and say, oh, I saw this that you did the other day. And it's just that bit that that's what social media does do. All right, it's harder to get in touch with a Brenny Brown or an Oprah Winfrey or a Simon Sinek or whatever. But it doesn't have to be those, you know, the kind of real well-known people. <clears throat> just look at, if you want to be a stand-up comedian, well, there's Good people on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, you know, you, it doesn't have to be Jason Manford or... McIntyre or these big shows and all that there'll be somebody at the position they were in now that you could go to or just kind of go and watch them and then talk to them so you know it, it's just that bit of reconnecting with that thing that, that you really love and do you know what if you've got a family if you talk to them about the reasons why you're doing it they'll support you and you'll find a way I work away a lot I've got two young kids me and my wife we find a way because you're both it's, supporting each other yeah. and want, want each other to be happy. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, like you, you give give and take, don't you? So I know if I'm away all week and my wife says, well, when you get home on Friday, I'm going out after work, fine. Good, have a great night. I'll pick the kids up. Good, you know. It's just that kind of give and take, isn't it? And, that you know, and, and if I'm being perfectly honest, and this might sound a bit harsh, if you're married in a relationship or your best mates and you raise that conversation... And they say they won't support you for not a for an unjustifiable reason, a selfish reason. Get out of there then. Yeah. Because why spend another ten years or the rest of your life with those people who are not gonna let you be you and are gonna make you miserable? A bit like my prayer. Why do you give a shit? Because yeah. if they don't give a shit about you, you need to you know, you, it has to start with you. Well I always say to my mates that you should be with somebody <coughs> that brings the most positive version of yourself yeah. out of you and yeah, if it's yeah. not making you happy for whatever reason, whether it is that you're not supporting one another then Yeah. There's plenty more fish in the sea. Yeah, and it's <laughs> you know, I, I know it's easy for us to sit here and say that, but again there's there's always a way it's just to have that, that, that conversation and then look at the decisions you have to make. And then look at the plan and then do it. You might have to go, well, actually, it's going to take me five years before I can move out. Yeah. Well, you better have that conversation and live in separate rooms or stop seeing that particular friend and then find a way, you know, in, to, to, to be around people that make you happy. You know, it's, it is it is achievable without any shadow of a doubt. You've just got to really look at it and say, well, let, this is what I want this is how I go off and get it. And you might look at that and go, this is what I want, and say, I've already got it. And if you have, good. <laughs> that that makes me heart sing, because the more and more people who can get that, yeah. the better. Because, you know, it's, it's awful, isn't it, that you hear people, when they get to retirement and go, oh, I hated working here for 20 years, for 10 years, even for five years is long enough if you've been there for a long time. I hate my job. Or they get divorced when the kids are older. <sighs> When your kids become an adult, they'll understand. And actually, you know, if, if that's the right decision, that being in that relationship is making you miserable, we'll make sure that your kids don't feel that and that all your kids ever feel is that they're loved, that that is achievable. You just have to have that conversation. Again, apply your emotional intelligence to be able to work through that. Anything 
it is achievable it's just about really recognizing how it's making you feel and then just saying well what do i want to happen here definitely and like you said it could be the case that it takes five years in certain situations and but it's just working out what you need to do to get there yeah better to work towards that isn't it you know it's funny isn't it that these people who we often kind of hold up as like successful and all that sort of stuff you know, look at the sacrifices they made. Richard Branson didn't open a record shop and was suddenly one of the richest men in the world. He's worked his ass off and he's failed a lot of times. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know all these other people that you could talk about, Usain Bolt and all the fastest man in the world and all that kind of stuff. Again, he didn't wake up one morning, eat some chicken nuggets, leg it and go, I'm really fast. <laughs> he had to sacrifice a oh, hell yeah. of a lot. And I'm not saying we all want to be millionaires famous businessmen with our own island or we all want to be the fastest man in the world it's just that these famous people that we hold up as successful look underneath the surface look under what they've actually had to achieve and and sacrifice as well yeah you know beg steal and borrow sometimes and not pay the rent and all that kind of stuff and you know have to kind of only buy one vinyl record a month instead <laughs> of the 10 that they want to buy and all that sort of stuff and you know you, you just have to really kind of decide what it is because again it's that bit of why be miserable when you can be happy and it's just that element of saying well what is it that you want and like I say you might then recognise you've already got it but you don't truly know that unless you ask yourself that question because you can tell yourself you have but then you're kidding yourself and then 10 20 years later you go oh shit that wasn't what I wanted actually <laughs> you know so yeah it's and everybody's different some people want big houses some people want holidays every year but that's your choice we all want different things definitely I, you know after i've paid my bills spent money on my wife and kids the only thing i spend money on is clothes and records <laughs> what else is there <laughs> and books i guess but that that's me yeah uh, so and you yeah. know that they make you happy so yeah exactly it doesn't matter what other people think does it so <laughs> well tim i could speak to you all day and this has been a lovely conversation and thank you so much for sharing your story because i think that's like so nice for you to come on here and do and hopefully if people are listening well i'm sure they're gonna absolutely love the podcast but before uh we wrap up uh can i ask you oh there was a nice i know yeah <laughs> i can't do it i feel like a little dj when i'm on here it's <laughs> like an intro to a little beatbox in or something <laughs> oh no that's as far as my beatbox goes <laughs> so um i want to ask what what's your favorite what would you recommend as a good self-help book, self-development book? What would you recommend is like the top, your top one? Ooh, um, I'm gonna have to go for the one that I say changed my life, and and it's it's a well-known one. It's Stephen Covey and his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay. So, I mean, that's more than 30 years old now, I think. It's one of the best-selling books. I've heard, I have heard of it, but I can't say that I've read it. It's on my... Uh, I mean, he's, he's dead now. God love him. Um, but that, it just opened my eyes to go, yeah, there's a different way of thinking here. And there's actually a different way of, I guess, not living your life, but just seeing things in a different way, even if it's just, you know, as the title suggests, the seven habits and all that kind of stuff. And... You know, he shares a lot of practical models in there, and even if it's just things like your circle of influence versus circle of concern, and that's something I live my life by. When I talk to people about it, I use the mod target to demonstrate it. Um, but that's that bit of looking and saying, how much time do we waste moaning about shit that you can't do anything about? 
how much time do you waste in work doing things that no one's going to A, thank you for, or B, do anything with? And it's that bit, it, There was that book was the kind of thing that enabled me to have these things in my mind and be able to look at things differently. And I guess, you know, again, as it suggests, it just kind of makes you more effective. So, yeah, that would be the one for me that where I've kind of stood in front of people and said, you know, this, this book literally changed my life. So that would be the one that I'd, I'd recommend, definitely. That's interesting, because one of, one of my favourite ones is that essentialism, and because of where I've thought of it, is that it makes you almost value your time more, and it makes you think about to say no to things yeah. that are not going to, well, I guess in that situation, aren't in your value, um, circle of... I was going to say circle of values, but that's so Circle of concern. Yeah, <laughs> make sure I got that right. He's even a bit. <clears throat> a mentor of mine gives a great example of this, and he, he's got a he's got kids, uh, and his his youngest daughter I think is around probably about seven now I think, and he uses a great example. He said that when he used to pick her up from school, there's a park near the school, and it, and it's like her favourite park kind of thing. So he'd always you know he'd take her on there when he could. And he said, but what he quickly realised was he was on the park, but what, what he was doing was sitting on a bench looking at his phone. So his daughter's on the swing or the roundabout or just doing what young girls do when he sat there on his phone. So he, And he said it was a big realisation for him. He said that I was there, but I wasn't there. Yeah. And he referred to that as kind of circle of influence, circle of concern. And, and it's really stuck with me that because now I take great pleasure, unless I have to, I won't take my phone with me. So I've got a watch that tells me the time. If my wife knows where I am and I'm not, you know, I'm not able to drive somewhere, I don't need to take my phone to the park that's around the corner or take my phone to pick them up from school. Because then that's almost kind of forcing you to be in the moment with them. And I just think of that, of my kids want, don't want me to be the dad sat looking at his phone. And actually, looking at my phone achieves bazaar. Because what it tells me on Sky Sports News, I can't do anything about it. What it tells me on social media, I can't do anything about it. If it's work, it'll still be there when I get home. My kids want me to be the dad that dick about with them on the park, that push them on the swings, that let them paint me nails. Uh, <laughs> not every day. Um, <laughs> just, just the dad who is there kind of thing because that's what they remember in it and you know you only get one chance and all that kind of stuff and going back to that the, the Covey and the uh, Stephen Covey and his habits even that is working in your circle of influence where you either make the decision to leave your phone at home or leave it in your pocket and you make the decision to be there and just have that time with your kids because why not if, if I can mess about on a swing for a bit why not? And you'll remember that, and you probably won't remember what you've looked at your phone yeah. on, on your phone as well. well what's that quote? Uh, Milton Erickson. I hope, I hope I've got his name right. Uh, one of the leading neuroscientists, and he says, "Life will bring you pain all by itself. Your job is to find joy." And it really resonates with me that because it is. Yeah, actually, it's your choice whether you have joy or whether you let life ruin it for you. <laughs> I like that one. Who was that by? I'm sure Milton Erickson. I'm no. confident that's I'm the right name. I'm going to add that to my uh, list of motivational quotes. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, like I say, he's a leading neuroscience. So I learned that when I did when I studied NLP. But yeah, it's just just right. It's no, I like so that much one. in life. Well, yeah, you know, unfortunately, the older you get, you realise that life is not not very fair and often not that great. But you can choose to do things that 
can make it make your experience of it much better and you know why not I don't believe in that Range Rover bumper sticker one life live it and all that crap but you have a choice that, that, that's, that, yeah that's the bit for me you, you always have a choice and it's just been very very clear on the choices that you may influence the experience you get and what other people around you say and it's you know sometimes people ask sometimes people ask about my job and Mark will cross a bit flip, flipping, but sometimes if the mood takes me, I just go, I'm a parent. I go, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, oh, you asked me what my job is. My job is to be a parent. I'm, for a living, I, I'm a coach <laughs> and a facilitator. Because it is, that's that's ultimately the most important job I've got in it. I've got two people that, as long, you know, basically I've just got to keep them alive <laughs> and make sure that they become decent human beings. But, you know, it is that bit of your employer. My clients won't be at my funeral, will they? At the end of the day, they won't. Not. I mean, if I die next week, some of them might be. But let's hope, touch wood again, that that I don't. And that it's you know, I get to retire and all that sort of stuff. But they won't be willing. And what I mean by that is, don't lose sight of putting too much into this thing that you think you've got to do or you think's important. First and foremost, enjoy it and put your time into the people that do give a shit about you. Definitely, and the people (laughs) you've got closest around them. Like keep them, keep them close. Don't push them away. Yeah, absolutely. Right, last question I've got for you yeah. is, and I know we've t- we've spoke a few motivational <laughs> quotes, which has been good. I love them, but uh, I'm last question is, what's your mantra? So, I know you said you do uh, you every night you pray, which I guess is a type of mantra, I guess. But what's something that you live by every day? It is the challenge is the opportunity. So that links to emotional intelligence because the challenge of your thoughts telling you to do things, not do things, feel certain ways. The challenge of that is the opportunity to think differently and choose your response because we all know that emotions will drive a response that we don't choose. And it also links to a lot of the stuff that we've we've talked about really that life, your job, your mates, your wife, your kids, your football team, everything will present challenges turn it into an opportunity so when I'm often coaching people if they use the word challenge I'll give them feedback and say next time you think you're going to say the word challenge replace it with opportunity because that's the reality of it what ask yourself what's the opportunity here so that that's the big thing for me is that the, the challenge is the opportunity that's very interesting next time I say the word challenge I'm going to do that and there I'll you go. think of you <laughs> oh, thank you very much Tim it's been an absolute thank pleasure thank you keep up the good work this is a fantastic podcast G so I really appreciate you giving me the time to ramble on for a bit no it's been great honestly I could sit here all afternoon but no thank you very much thank you